Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander and we are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 181, recorded on April the 26th, 2022. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. This is a full-length interview that Haney and I did with Håkan Silbenagel and Eve Party of AI42 fame. So enjoy about 45 minutes of AI ethics and uh, world domination. Today we are joined by two AI MVPs, Håkan Silbenagel and Eve Party. Welcome both. Very lovely to have you here. Thank you a lot for having us. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Really nice to be here. Excellent. So let's just jump straight to it. So could you tell a little bit about your background? Why did you get into AI and what are you doing in the field of AI? Would you like to go first, Eve? Thank you, I can go first. So it is actually a very long story and it is uh, really like a fairy tale as uh, I'm usually telling about it, but I'm going to take it a short version only. So um, it started on one day around 2015, I think, when I was sitting and was not sure what to do with my life. I was at, already studying at computer science, actually, and, and I really loved uh, coding, and it was a really nice thing that I was really interested in. But, uh, you know, you should narrow it down a little, like what you want to do. You cannot just go out and, mm, I want to do some coding. So I sat down in front of uh, some search engines and I wrote in my favorite field which was uh, mathematics, programming and healthcare. And it came back with this world, uh, data science. And this is where the whole story started. So I started to go out to live, uh, like online universities and some online courses and whatnot. And, and I started to study data science and then AI. And um, this is where the whole story started. Very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> That might actually be the straightest path I've ever heard of anyone in this field. Amazing. Yeah, very nice. How about you, Håkan? Yeah, actually, so um, I think me and Eve started actually around the same time. So I've been mm. I've been a .NET developer since .NET actually was released in 2001, 2002. But then in 2014, um, there was a lot of hype and talk about data science. So I was thinking, Maybe I should, maybe I should get into this because I like, you know, mathematics and and like new things. And then I saw that there was on Coursera, which was also popular around that time. There was a free, like a ten, uh, uh, ten course program, which was called the Data Science Specialization. So that actually mm -hmm. took you, you know, from basically zero until you could actually do like a capstone project at the end of this ten course specialization. So that was sort of how I how I got into the into the field. You both actually mentioned mathematics, so I'm, I'm going to take a bit of a sidestep. So how important do you think mathematics is to get into the field? Like, do you have to be like super proficient or can you get away with just basic skills? From my point of view, um, every time I was working on some machine learning or AI solutions, 
it was very difficult not to use and not to know about some mathematical uh, definitions and theories and some calculations and so on. It helps a lot in improving these solutions and in general to find the best solution for a problem. That's my opinion about this. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think it's a uh, Scott Hansman who has this like a similarity between you know driving a car and being able to you know change the change the oil or actually know what goes on inside of the motor. So I guess the more you know, the more you can affect or the more you can understand what you actually need to change in order to correct this problem that I found. Because uh, of course, without knowing any mathematics, you can still do some some work using like Azure Cognitive Services or other pre already pre-trained models. But the more you know, I think the more the better you can handle a situation because you have more power in your hands. Can I toss in a, a question there? So I am by far the least mathematically inclined of these four people. <laughs> uh, I, I do know um, how to add two numbers and usually I get a reasonable some. But the whole analogy with the car, um, knowing how the engine works or just being able to drive the car, I'm thinking of one, one of the more, the more dangerous aspects of, of AI, and I'm sure Hane is going to get there um, in this conversation as well. Would you say that there is a risk of not knowing enough to be able to understand why an algorithm is doing the way it does? And what kind of effects can that have on on the, the end result, i.e. The, the, the people using it. The, the, that's true. As, uh, as Hawken also said, and, and as Alexander added too, um, it, is, it is always uh, easy to make mistakes that can affect uh, the decision of an AI system. And um, that can have a big effect. Uh, talking now mostly with the background of uh, responsible AI knowledge and experience I have gained in the past few years, I can see that many of the times people end up using uh, the wrong solution and uh, they end up providing, not, not, I'm not saying untrustful uh, applications, but, but I can say not really reliable ones if you if you don't have you know if you don't know the the background of uh, what you're building into your uh, solution then how can you expect your users to trust it mm. very good point yes i think from my point of view also in order to actually be able to understand and also to explain this different types of AI algorithms or machine learning algorithms it's necessary to have some sort of mathematical background but you know every everyone does not need to have that so i guess it's sufficient if you know someone yeah that that's also a good thing to highlight because we can also then reach out to the community and ask from somebody who knows a specific algorithm really well as well because also i feel like the field of ai is so wide and there's such a very variety of things that you can do that also you cannot be proficient in everything also, so people are probably specialized in certain areas or others. Just as you say, I often highlight this as well in my uh, sessions and like motivational speeches and whatever that don't be a lone ranger. 
you always should reach out. You don't have to know everything. You should have some people around you who motivate you, support you, give you advices because, uh, you know, there will always be someone who is more experienced than you. And it's a good idea to listen to them. And also from uh, from my experience, I can also see, is especially in larger organizations, there's always a risk that they create this uh, special um, data science department with data scientists that um, runs their algorithms in the Jupyter Notebook, but it never gets anywhere. It never gets outside of that mm -hmm. data scientist uh, notebook. But I think uh, the only time when you can actually get some real value of this thing is if you can uh, put it into production. So, so you need to somehow assemble a team so that you can go from this you know, notebook uh, simulation and running over to actually have it deployed and have some real data and try to learn something from experiments. Yeah, definitely. It's, it requires communications, it seems like, in all phases uh, a lot. And it seems so true in all areas of IT, uh, even where I think me and Alexander are working. So people are still in the mix. <laughs> uh, so as we talked, like AI is a very wide area. Or do, you, do the two of you have like specific focus areas that you are really in? Or would you like to share a bit about that? Yes, I can say from my point of view, I've done a little bit of, of everything. So I've done some NLP, some object recognition, so I'm, I guess you could say I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in anything basic, but that's more that I have a broad overview of the field as such. So now in, now lately I've been more interested in what is called tiny ML. So tiny, tiny ML deals with how you can actually run machine learning algorithms on small, on small devices, both on, you can say your mobile phone is a small device, but you can also say a microcontroller, which is just this small, tiny chip where you can also run these machine learning algorithms, which is something that I found very, very interesting. Interesting. Uh, do you have like an example of what you could run in that context? Yeah, so you can imagine, for example, uh, if you have something which is time critical, like for example, mm -hmm. you have, you're watching something and maybe it's like a burglar alarm or something, because then you don't want to have a lot of latency. So maybe you can't pay this, um, this fee of transferring all of the information over to the cloud and then you should transfer it, transfer it back because then maybe you run out of time. So what you can do instead is that you can run all of the machine learning calculations on the actual device. And then after that you can you know, um, issue an alarm or, or what, whatever you want to do. Yeah, very interesting and definitely sounds like there's a lot of use cases mm -hmm. in that area as well. How about you, Eve? What are you doing? I am mostly focused on the Azure machine learning workspace. And it's not uh, only the tool itself, but uh, also all the extensions and uh, abilities that it has, like a um, little bit of infrastructure as well, meaning mm -hmm. that uh, automates these uh, pipelines of the workspace. And um, my main projects are written in different uh, languages actually, uh, but mostly Python with uh, different all the kind of frameworks that there are on the on the field. Um, because there are different projects, so we might need to use different uh, solutions for that. Um, 
I am mostly focused nowadays on reinforcement learning and responsible AI and a bit of recommendation engines as well. And and today, and maybe we have to cut this out. <laughs> no, but but uh, today I am focusing mostly on uh, the OpenAI API and uh, services. And uh, this is the coolest stuff I ever seen. Really. <laughs> you you said this this is the coolest thing you've ever seen. Tell me more. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the, why I think it is the coolest thing is because so far we have been writing different AI solutions that were trained on something, they have to achieve something, and then they come out with an output which I expect, or at least close to what I expected. And then OpenAI, API, uh, this API came out, and it does something totally different. It's not like you write the code and then uh, that is... Um, going to be a model which is trained on some data or whatnot, you are basically using this API to interpret basically what, what how to explain. It's like, imagine it like you put in some text information, like um, I want to write a code for training a classification model. Just write this in. And then it spits out a Python code with all kind of training code, uh, how to test it or the evaluation and all the stuff, just an example. It is an uh, API that is that can be used to to you know to improve your models as well and to and it gives you a lot of different uh, solutions that uh, might be needed. Uh, this API is now closed uh, before the publicity, but I, as far as I know it is available for customers if they pay a lot for that. <laughs> so <laughs> It sounds a bit like uh, GitHub Autopilot, but for AI it, stuff. Yes, it sounds like that because actually the Copilot is based on this API. Ah, well, that that explains things. Why yes. it sounds so awesome familiar. Okay, that is cool. Yeah. Yes, it is. Very, very cool. So uh, I know you're both quite passionate about helping people get into AI, and you have also founded uh, this community of AI42. So I'm just interesting about your views that why why should people get educated in AI and uh, why is it important in this current day? Yeah, so I think that uh, for uh, for once, I think AI is something that will you know permeate all the society going forward. So then I think it's a matter of democracy actually that I think all. All of the citizens should uh, should get the chance to get enough inf uh, enough information or enough knowledge to be able to take a stand on what should we ac actually do with AI in th in the future, and especially when we're talking about AI and ethics, then you actually need to have some sort of uh, basic understanding of what an AI or machine learning algorithm is, and I think that's sort of the basis why why we started this AI forty two. Online, uh, online schooler. So, sort of our um, our goal here is to be able to bring knowledge about AI and machine learning to everyone here on basically on the planet that has an internet connection. When we started this AI forty two, um, we had a motivation really to to bring people um, base of information, a basis really of information where. Uh, the community can come and start by the fundamentals, really, because um, we, we make sure that that uh, people are starting from the 
very very starting point from like mathematics and so on and then get to a point where they can actually be able to build ai solutions for customers possibly so and nowadays we are talking about this like a place where we actually want to mentor also people and and we are often having some some um, some uh, people in the audience who would like to become speakers at some point so so this community should be uh, knowledge sharing between each other and it has to be totally free and i think that's like important because there's so much information about ai out there and how to find where to even start <laughs> i think that is often the tricky part what is the starting point uh, that's also one of our ideas here because we could also see that it was difficult i mean you could find one one course which talks about python and another one which talks about deep learning but you couldn't find you know everything sort of assembled in the same place so that's uh, what we have um, started to do here so that we we can give anyone can go to our you know, youtube channel and then they can see sort of a library of everything taking from you know the mathematics and the statistics over to Python and R and over to more, you know, applied things like how you can run Power BI or Databricks or Sparks or, or what, mm. whatever you want to know. You mentioned, Håkan, that uh, we're in going forward, there will be like AI kind of everywhere and machine learning. What do you think is kind of the current state? Are, are we, how mature are we in our AI and machine learning end of wars out there currently? I think I uh, think actually that our perception is probably a bit faulty here. So I think that a lot of people maybe perceive that we're quite advanced right now. But I think if we if we move ten years ahead, they will probably be you know laughing at at what we were trying to do here. So I think there are lots of things that are uh, going on, and there are many different uh, technological evolutions that will speed up the uh, AI, uh, the different types of AI capabilities that we have right now. I was thinking about, uh, we haven't talked about this nowadays, I think, not not enough at least. And I also hope that this will change in the future, that AI is not going to be only a thing that is advancing so far that it becomes something even cooler than it is right now. I really believe that it's going to become something that is that makes our world more diverse, more inclusive and... Um, you know, more welcoming to to the people who are, you know, who wants to be part of the tech world or the world in general, because uh, we can easily end up excluding people unintentionally. Mm -hmm. So that's that's important to keep in mind as well, I think. And that that is a wonderful segue to. Uh, you've already said something that I'm I'm really interested to talk about, and that is um, ethics. We all remember vividly what happened when. I think it was Microsoft that did the the bot train trained the bot on on Twitter, and it very very quickly started to reflect essentially the information it was trained on, i.e., garbage in, garbage out, and without any self awareness, if you will, it cannot um, decide on on right from wrong, and, and ethics is based on self awareness. So how how do you how do you kind of unify ethics and AI? As far as I know, so far we have, not we have, uh, Microsoft has created these principles that uh, people could follow. And I'm 
saying it like this because most of these are not written rules. These are more like uh, sort of guidelines that uh, developers could follow. And this is this is our problem today, I think, that it is not like a rule set that if you create a solution, then you're going to be fine if you don't follow this and that guideline. It's not the case today. And um, it, up, it is up to the developer whether they make sure uh, if they solutions are ethical or not. And um, but that is uh, that is, you know, we can debate about this, that whether it is a good or a bad behavior, uh, whether it is OK to leave it to the developer to do how they want. Um, all, all I'm trying to say is that uh, as long as the developer wants to keep their solutions ethical and reliable and trustful, then um, those solutions will at least going towards being trustful and, and reliable. So it's a, it should be something important to, to tell everyone that we need to make sure that we keep each other safe. So if I'm I'm hearing you correctly, you're you're saying that it's not so much the technology itself, but the user and and the the developer of that technology, and that's that's what drives the ethical part of it. And especially the developers, right? Because the user is using what is uh, what can be used, right? So if uh, the developer creates something that is unethical, or unreliable, or whatever, the the user is not going to be the bad person in the situation. And I can also chime in a little bit here because um, similar to the situation, like I, I'm not exactly sure of when it was, but um, let's say three or four years ago, there was a new regulation called the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, which sort of governs on how we can save user data and what kind of data we can save and so on. And now in a similar vein, there is a, um, a proposal for an AI legislation in the EU, which is called the AI Act, which um, probably will, will be in place by 2025. And what this AI Act actually does, it, it, uh, it will um, ensure that, that the AI algorithms that companies and people are using should follow some of these principles that he was talking about here. So that is also something from a legislative point of view that can help uh, increase um, increase the way that we use AI. So it, it's essentially the, the, uh, the robot laws, uh, Isaac hmm. Asimov's three laws of robotics <laughs> writ, writ large. Yeah, uh, but it somehow also sounds nice to have something like that because w what you were even describing a bit it seems like there's so much um responsibility on the developer as well so it can also feel like a bit of a heavy burden if you don't know exactly how to do things ethically necessarily do you think it's it's an area that is talked about enough and also people developers have enough experience of how to actually implement this and how to do this in a responsible way I think we we are on a very good path right now with uh, responsible AI. We talk about it a lot, and I'm not I'm talking about like this like VE because uh, I especially uh, was talking a lot about this nowadays, uh, and um, and I know that this is uh, 
getting to be a hot topic and I can also see a lot of clients who are getting interested in the in the responsible AI solutions and all this so I can I can see a big 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 improvement here um, but I can I can also tell that uh, not much experience there is yet uh, from the developer side or at least not uh, not uh, this specifically, because mm-hmm. of course most of the developers try to live their life uh, responsibly, right? So we really, really want to uh, provide solutions that that are not harmful to anyone. Uh, but but uh, we have lack of experience yet with all these uh, tools and uh, and uh, principles that are provided today. So that this is going to be a good path, I think, to follow. Yeah, and I I think that's that's the most important thing that we are we are moving <laughs> in the right direction. Maybe yes, not myself included in the we, but. As as the community that is uh, doing AI things, and I can I can also add also that there are also already now some tools that has have existed for some time. Like for example, Microsoft has a tool called uh, Fallon, and with Fallon you can um, detect if there is a bias in a machine learning algorithm, and if there is, uh, you can also uh, you can also handle that uh, bias with that framework, and it's both mm. built in into machine learning but it's also available as an open source tool so that's something that I can recommend to have a look at and on the top of that actually uh, um, I'm sorry Hoken if you if you feel like I'm I'm over talking this uh, fair learn thing because fair learn is really important and on the top of this uh, Microsoft has released a responsible AI toolbox or the dashboard so-called mm. and uh, this is involving fair learn as well some interpretability techniques or the error analysis some counterfactual analysis and whatnot all this in one place so it is very valuable for developers to to have an overview of how their model is uh, how the model behaves on the data that is learned on. So, so taking this ethics and the responsibility of the developer one step further, what's your take on how much, how do I put this? So we can have a, an autonomous system that has little or no impact on people. And we can have an, an autonomous system that has a lot of impact. The, the civilian idea would probably be a self-driving car. A military application would be a, an autonomous drone with weapons. If we stick to the car, it opens up a lot of ethical potential issues, especially when we start discussing um, accidents and such. Where, where do we go from, from there when it comes to ethics and how, how do we tag this to the developers and, and what's your views on this? Yeah, I can I can start uh, to say something because um, so that's actually a very interesting example here, Alexander, and and I know that they have made studies at MIT using exactly a um, self-driving car, and the self-driving car is approaching a zebra crossing, and then the question is, what should the self-driving car do? Should it you know, should it try to save uh, younger lives over older lives, or should it say try to save? Um, say women over men, or what should it try to do? Or, and also an interesting question is, should it actually do anything 
or should it just say that oh I can I can't do I'm I'm not responsible here so I just give the power over to my human driver and then you know it's up up to him. Um, so what they did was actually so they were asking these questions to I think it's been uh, six hundred thousand or even more participants in uh, in this um, experiment, and it's very interesting that there are huge. Um, culture differences depending on what type of culture you come from. So if you come from a culture which is more focused on groups, like in Japan for example, or if you come from a culture which is more individually focused like like the USA for example. So so I think what that tells us is it's very difficult because if we as a human race, if we can't agree on what is the moral right thing to do, then how can we expect that the machine that is actually programmed by us can take a morally right uh, stand. And, and it's good that you mentioned Hawken. It's, it's so nice that you talk about this because a few years ago, we had this uh, tech festival in Copenhagen. And uh, we had a session. This guy came out talking about uh, some ethical issues, um, but he was focusing on the military uh, situations because of an issue which I don't want to go into details now because it's a it now it's not a nice story the point is that uh, uh, he was also talking about what Hawken just mentioned and and it's very important to to see through that again if the if the developer uh, thinks how the how you know like how it fits uh, that person uh, then the not, not sure the AI will have a different uh, knowledge because the machine has a machine only has the experience that we provide to it. It's not going to have um, is it like a moral uh, feeling or or how how should I explain? It won't. It's not going to have like a feeling. For example, if uh, and the same example and this is coming from this military person. If uh, imagine a train that is that has to decide whether it goes on one way or the other. And on one way there is a. Um, his uh, the driver's mom, let's say, and on the other side there are five other people. Which way do you take? It's difficult. It's not going to be. It's not even. And and as Hawkins uh, says, there is no good decisions in in these kind of situations, especially not when we are talking about militaries and accidents and and these things. Uh, we can try to find the least harmful way. We can try to to say, okay, if there is a situation, then just uh, lock down, shut down, and just uh, explode wherever you are. Don't don't do anything. Like not not don't uh, don't even make a decision. Just just stop and and don't do anything and give the decision to the developer. And that's uh, there there are like different levels, if I remember well. Like uh, if uh, I can't remember exactly how these levels were defined, but yes, uh, one where where the uh, AI can make the decision and then it does the decision. Then the other level when uh, the decision is given to the developer or the or the owner, and uh, the third one when the decision is not made, but then it stops or shuts down or something like that. But there are other levels as well, maybe which I can't remember by heart. I think uh, I think also another thing which can be uh, good to understand is even though it's called artificial intelligence, I think maybe a better word would have been like artificial statistics or artificial mathematics or something. Because the thing is that artificial intelligence is actually not that intelligent. <laughs> so so basically, what it, what usually happens is that you get the 
suggestion um, that this will probably happen with this kind of probability or this uh, object is probably a cat with this uh, probability. So I think it goes back to a little bit of what Heine mentioned here a little bit earlier that it's really important to keep the human in the loop because you can also say that AI could stand for assistive intelligence because that way you can think of that the AI will support us humans so that we can focus on the things that are actually interesting to do whereas the AI can focus on you know mundane things that just takes a lot of time and a lot of work which the computer is much better to do than what, what we are. Some would say that AI is not so much artificial intelligence as artificial stupidity. Um, um, I'm sure you know the name Rafal Vukavets. Um, his or he used to be. He's he's still in the field, but he's working a lot with uh, secret Skrill kind of clients. So he 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 doesn't make a lot of noise anymore. But we had a discussion about the whole issue, the potential issue with a fully self-driving car. It's one thing to have a safety driver, and it's one thing, as you said, Hakan, to um, support the driver, but it's a whole different ballgame when you take the driver out of the picture, which is what Tesla is, is trying to do. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I keep coming back to, I have a friend who is um, severely autistic. He is absolutely brilliant. But if you ask him, can you open the window? He's going to look at you and go, yeah, of course I can. Because he does not possess the ability to, to pick up what I just asked him. Can you, can you actually open the window? And he just heard, can you open the window? Not, would you be so kind to open the window? So I'm curious to see where we end up. And I'm very curious to hear your views on uh, the, the fully autonomous um, direction is that somewhere we want to go is that somewhere we should not go a lot of questions in in one go have at it when it comes to automation uh, i think it's important to to divide between um self-driving cars and automation in uh, otherwise uh dangerous uh, factory situations because like um if we, for example, talk about automation in a factory, uh, in a situation when it is dangerous to humans anyways, when, when it's not yet that automated, right? That's what I'm talking about. Because in those situations, um, if there are no human harm can be done, it is a, even a better idea to just automate it so, so people does, don't have to have accidents because of uh, using all those uh, tools and whatnot. And uh, but when it comes to self-driving cars, that's a whole other situation. That is a whole other decision to be made. That is uh, that cars are among humans, right? So it's like uh, around us, and it's like driving around, and and it can harm anyone if even if it is driven by humans. And. Uh, those two automation situations should be discussed differently. So, And a lot of people who drive cars shouldn't be driving cars. Yes, sometimes that's true as well. I think also one other thing that we can also think about is what if we would have self-driving cars but without any other type of pedestrians or you, don't, you only have self-driving cars. I think that's, at least for me, that's one viable solution because that's something that you can simulate because you know that 
nothing will happen or at least you have a really low probability that something unexpected will happen but then the question is will we you know do we want to have that kind of society yeah it essentially comes down to how much of the system can you control and how much of the system is stochastic or just filled with people that tend to mess everything up i i want to use this opportunity to ask a little bit about what is it that you're really excited about in the field of ai is it in the field of self-driving cars or something else? Is there something even more exciting coming our way that we might not know about with Alexander quite yet? Yeah, so I can, I can probably start here too. So I was um, hinting a little bit about it in my introduction here, but I think that this tiny ML has a lot of things going for it, both be, because you can act much faster because you're running all the processing and all the machine learning on the device. And in addition, that you don't actually need to have an internet connection. So maybe you could have like a swarm of small intelligent devices and maybe they were just connecting to something like a modem or something that could send out an alert when something happens, for example. I think that that's one area where we can see a lot of things happening going forward. And then the other area, which I, I am personally also is very interested in, is a field which is called effective computing, which is a field where we combine the things that we know from psychology with artificial intelligence. So this sort of started in the, in the 1990s. There was a researcher who, who wrote a book called Effective Computing, where she was saying that what if we could use you know, machine learning and data science in our products that they could actually understand us humans. They could understand what kind of feelings are we, uh, are we experiencing right now. Because from psychology we know that our feelings, our human feelings are affecting us every day in our life and it affects the, the kind of decisions we do and you know, all kinds of choices. So we can have you know, tools and services that can take this into account. And we, can, we have already seen it right now because, you know, you have image detection where you can do, you know, rating, what kind of um, emotion does this person have? You can have the um, uh, same thing for text. So you can analyze like a Twitter flow, for example, if you have a specific subject and you can analyze this, the majority are they feeling happy or bad about this. So I think we're also quite early in that phase. So I'm, I'm really interested and curious and curious to see what what will happen in that field. Yeah, that definitely sounds very interesting, but it is so often with these AI topics and directions that you also think like, uh-oh, this could go really sideways. <laughs> you know, there's so much potential, but it kind of relies on the people to really use it to the benefit of people as well. Yes, um, and I actually wanted to first... Uh, uh, react on what you just mentioned that it can easily go on sideways but uh, isn't it like that with everything in technology like with yes. everything comes up I had a I had an interview a few years ago about HoloLens and uh, the interviewer told me that isn't it dangerous to have like a glasses on you and and like wow it is it is so horrible and dangerous and all that and I'm like aren't we walking around in glasses anyway or at least staring at our phone like that like looking down mm -hmm. on your phone and not even looking around what's happening around you I everything in technology can go on go sideways everything in technology can be dangerous but we need to find 
the beauty in the world, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like in the best world. Um, Completely agree. Yes, and and we have to see we have to see the opportunities, the 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 greatness of uh, what we can we can uh, achieve. Meaning with greatness, I'm not talking about that I want to like uh, rule the world with AI. <laughs> I mean that, uh, for example, we can save lives with AI. We can do amazing things with these technologies. And, and it, it doesn't, we don't need to look at the dark side of everything all the time, but, but try, to, try to communicate to people who are interested in the field or getting started in the field that we are doing this and we see this, uh, these technologies as something that can make your life better. And and easier and and uh, improve your life quality as well, and again save lives. And uh, this is what is my focus area. That's what uh, we were just talking about before I was talking about something else. So yes, um, my focus area is not um, necessarily in AI or not in the technology, the AI as a, as a concept, um, but more in uh, healthcare, um, life-saving. I'm, I'm really much into um, uh, this Nepal earthquakes project, for example, still I'm keep improving that. So, so make sure that uh, get more architecture into all these, uh, all these solutions. So, so I understand more uh, these solutions. So my focus is still on seeing how can we improve our AI solutions to save more life or improve the quality of humans' lives. And I think that is also one of the reasons why we need people to be educated in AI, because otherwise it will seem like, oh, this could go wrong and you stay yes. there. But then when you learn more, it becomes more easy to see also the potential and all the different ways that really these things can improve our lives. And yeah, it's quite quite powerful that we have something that can actually be used to saving lives. I think we can also look at AI as, as a tool so just in the same uh, manner as uh, you have a hammer, a hammer can be a really good tool because you can build a house with it. Maybe you need some more tools, but you can list a hammer as a start. But you can also seriously hurt another human being with this hammer. And it's the same thing with AI. I mean, it can be used for good, but can also be used for very bad things. And also in a regular you know, software development project, AI is just you know, a tiny part of the whole project. So there are many other aspects that we need to take into consideration. I find it quite interesting that we, as, as Haney is, is alluding to, we, we have this tendency to demonize AI, immediately go for, oh, this is going to be so bad. When, as you said, Håkan, the hammer, I can do a lot of damage with a hammer, a nice hammer. I've been a paramedic, so I've seen what a hammer can do. But why do you think that people immediately jump to this, oh, this crap can't be good, I want to hit this more more than reasonable i and it is so difficult to to say it out loud sometimes but most of the time i see this as uh, people sometimes just don't want to know about these things and since they don't want to know about these things they won't ask questions about these things they just let it happen and uh, uh, make assumptions based on what uh, they see or hear and uh, I do take this a bit uh, in, uh, in from my personal life as well, because I I know people who 
who just don't ask questions from me ever. And uh, okay, I'm not sure if are we still online. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so we are we. I, I'm not really asked questions other than you know sometimes my parents or stuff like that. But really, I can see uh, many people don't ask questions because they don't want to hear things or I, I'm not sure why I'm not sure why is it so that uh, people don't want to hear or learn about these things but uh, that's my experience at least that's most of the time that happens so when you have taken over the world with AI then you're <laughs> going to be using that to explain to everyone that AI is a good thing right I try <laughs> that works <laughs> But I also think that, you know, A, you can see this as a, you know, technological change that will affect the, affect the way that we live and our societies. And I think with every major technological change, like going back to the introduction of the steam engine, there will always be people who are very critical. Like at that time, there were these people that they called the Luddites that were actually trying to, uh, you know, destroy the steam engines because they didn't really like it. And it also put them out of, out of work. So there will always be these people that are very resistant to, to change. Yeah, and change is always a little scary. But yeah, it's better to head to it with gaining some knowledge and trying to find out about it. It will become easier that way. So maybe kind of from that then, what do you would be the advice to anyone who is listening to this and thinking like, hey, I want to now learn more about AI. Where where should I start? Or do you have some kind of like inspiration or encouragement that you want to share to people? Wow, what to say on that? Hoken, <laughs> do you have something to share? <laughs> yeah, so I have two, two words or one word, AI42. <laughs> because AI is the answer for all your questions. Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> No, but seriously, um, I I would be happy to to have a chat with anyone who would like to hear more. I I'm always open to to um, have like a small session to to talk about um, the news and and what uh, can be achieved with these uh, solutions like AI and machine learning as well. Um, I also try personally uh, mentoring and and lecturing and supervising master's theses and whatnot. So uh, so uh, on the top of AI42, I would be happy to um, support anyone in person as well. Uh, yeah, the same goes for me. I'm also a mentor for, for younger developers and people want to enter this field. And my both my LinkedIn and my Twitter is, is always open so so people can can connect. And then if there is someone who's listening to this podcast who is just thinking that they are interested in AI, but maybe not from a technical point of view, I can recommend a course called Elements of AI that was developed in Finland. So and that's also available on, on many different European languages. So you can just go, that's a free course that you can just Google and you will find it. Yeah, I, I was about to bring it in if, if you hadn't mentioned it, so perfect timing. 
So thank you so much, Eve and Håkan, for joining us. It was such interesting conversations around AI and ethics, and there's so much to talk about this. I know we could be going on for days and days and days, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for tuning in to listen, and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Hidibin Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Haini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at